0: Hey, before uh, we jump into the message this morning and open up God's Word together, you know, if you're like me, just as events have unfolded over the last week, I know many of us come in here this morning, our hearts very heavy by what has unfolded in the Middle East, um, in Israel and in Gaza, and what continues to unfold. Today, um, You know, when uh, m- my dad had a job working for a missions travel agency where he uh, he made trips to the Holy Land about two dozen times in, in his lifetime. I got to go when I was in seventh grade. And I remember seeing even just from the, my basically being a preteen— um, just how uh, rich of a heritage is there, uh, for starters, as the story of God's people has been written through generations, and, and also how complicated uh, that entire situation has been basically since the beginning of history. And you know, th- this has been a week where, I-, I know when moments like this happen and our eyes are, are on Israel, very quickly, I think... We can start thinking, okay, well, how does this, how's this fulfilling prophecy that's already been spoken? What, how is this leading to prophecy yet fulfilled? And, and the reality is, we really don't know yet. Um, we, we know that God chose Israel, we know that God chose the Jewish people to. Uh, proclaim the light of the gospel, to send his son, Jesus Christ. We have a Jewish Messiah who died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the grave. And, and, and sometimes I think we, we start to speculate too quickly to the extent that we lose clear sight of what we should absolutely be doing right now. And all week long, I've not been able to get out of my mind this interaction with Jesus and his disciples at the beginning of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1 This is after Jesus' earthly ministry, after he has risen again from the grave. Um, He's preparing to ascend to heaven. And his disciples ask him in Acts 1.6, it says, when they come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And they're wondering, what does this mean for us? What does it mean for our nation? What's it mean for these people? And I've always been intrigued by the answer that Jesus gives them. He says to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and to the ends of the earth. And so here's, here's an encouragement that I want to give us this morning, a challenge I want to give us this morning before we pray is in all the speculation of what does this mean for prophecy spoken? What does this mean for prophecy yet fulfilled? We don't have immediate clarity in these things, but here's what we do have immediate clarity on. Regardless of what unfolds, regardless of the timing of the return of Jesus, you and I are supposed to be living all day, every day, in the exact same way. It's under the power of the Holy Spirit as we continue to preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. And what we can, we can do two things at the same time this morning. We can acknowledge that there are a lot of complications politically, culturally, biblically, to what's unfolded over here. And, and we can also unequivocally condemn uh, horrendous atrocities that were committed against the Jewish people over the last week, we can pray uh, in the face of any injustice that the hand of god 's justice would be swift, that it would be effective uh, that uh, those who are innocent in all of this who were just stuck in the fray that their lives would be protected and preserved church we have to remember we have brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ who live on both sides of that border. Um, who today, as we gather here, they are in their own unique ways, regardless of where they live, trying to do what Jesus called them to do, live in the power of his Holy Spirit, continue preaching the gospel, continue making disciples. And so what we want to do this morning is we want to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We want to pray for a swift end to conflict. We want to pray for the gospel to continue to be proclaimed. We want to pray for God's hand of protection over those who are in harm's way. So will you bow your heads with me this morning as we begin our time of worship? Father, we come to you in the name of Yeshua, Jesus, our Jewish Messiah. And Father, we praise you that long ago, in your grace and in your mercy, you chose a nation. You called a people to yourself. And through those people came the light of the world through the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that those of us who are Gentiles, who were not born among the nation that you chose, that you have grafted us into that family. We thank you for the true Israel, your son, Jesus Christ, and those who are united to him by faith. And Lord, we pray this morning for the Jewish people who are in harm's way. God, we pray for civilians in Gaza who are in harm's way, who are being used as as pawns in a game. Father, we pray for brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, who are suffering right now as they try their very best to continue faithfully advancing the gospel, that you would continue to empower them by your Holy Spirit to keep being witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Father, we pray that the feet of all who would run to accomplish evil would stumble and fail as they run. We know through your word, Father, that you have ordained the sword for the carrying out of justice. And so we ask this morning that your hand of justice would be swift and effective, that loss of life would be minimal, that the innocent would be preserved. And that, Father, even in the darkest of darkness, that once again, the geographic location where the light of the world was revealed to the world. Lord, we pray today for their peace. Lord, help us to weep with those who weep. Help us to mourn with those who mourn. Help us to suffer with those who suffer. And we ask that even in the midst of great darkness, the light of the gospel would shine once again. So fathers, we open up your word this morning as we are reminded of your goodness in the face of whatever we're facing, regardless of what we're walking through, regardless of what we are enduring that you are a loving father who gives good things. You will never give us what leads to our death. You will only give us what leads us to life. So show us the way to life today. Show us Jesus. Speak to us words today that will edify your church and bring glory to your name. Father, will you sanctify us by the truth of your word? Your word is truth. Speak it to our hearts this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen, amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. I know it's gotten a little bit busier in here the last few minutes, and so appreciate those of you who have made space for those who've trickled in. Um, well, good morning, welcome. Glad to have you here worshiping with us today. If you're our guest, my name is Taylor, and I serve here at Cross's lead pastor. Um, we have been walking together as a church family for the last few weeks through the book of James. So I wanna invite you to turn with me in your Bible, if you have one with you, to James chapter one. We're gonna look this morning at verses 16 through 18. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one on. Under- Underneath the seat in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you, so feel free to take that with you as you leave this place today. And we hope that that's a blessing and encouragement to you um, as you engage God's Word together with us in worship each week. Um, Over the last few weeks, as we've walked together through the book of James up to this point, James has primarily talked about the trials that God allows us to face that strengthen our faith, and as we saw last week, the temptations that we will face when we come across those trials. And so last week, we wanted to make sure we draw a really important distinction. God will allow us to be tested in such a way that our faith will be strengthened, but God will never lead us into temptation that leads us to sin and death. God will allow us to be tested, but God never leads us into temptation. And what we've seen in James chapter 1 is there's lots of overlap in all of these subjects. Sometimes it's easy to read the first chapter of James and feel like he's kind of hopping from subject to subject. Um, But as uh, he closes out a lot of these subjects... He closes them out in a way that introduces new ones. And so we're really going to pick up this morning exactly where we left off last week. I just want to give you an illustration to remind us of what we saw last week, but also to set up where we're going together this morning. Um, When I was going through basic training with the army, I remember the very first day we went into the dining facility, we were told in no uncertain terms whatsoever at the reception battalion by the drill sergeant who was there that we were not to touch dessert when we were on the food line. He was like, that's for the staff, that's for drill sergeants, that is not for any of you. Do you understand? Yes, drill sergeant. We all responded and we go through the line. So making our way uh, through the chow hall there, making our way through the food line, you know, taking one step at a time across, we come to the end of the line, there is dessert. And at the end of this line is another drill sergeant who is encouraging everybody to take the dessert. And it, it, this creates this very conflicting set of instructions. Like on the front end, you, you've got one who's, in no uncertain terms whatsoever, you touch that, you die. And then you've got another who's on the other end of the line saying, oh no, no problem, go ahead. And, and so we're, we're going, make, making our way through the line, and so he would just sit there one after one. But go, go ahead, private, take some dessert. Take some dessert, take some dessert. And, and some guys, you know, they got the conflicting message. They'd heard, okay, well, he said no, but he's here, and he says yes. And, man, the other guys way at the beginning of the line, so I guess it's okay. And so there were a few who took the bait. And they get dessert on their plate, and then what, what happens as soon as we're all seated? The drill sergeants start walking up and down all the tables. And they start finding the people who put dessert on their plate. And what do they do? swarm here's two saying you weren't supposed to get dessert you better not eat that here's two more saying no you can get the dessert eat it all of them accusing them of obeying disobeying a direct order and and so you just kind of see moments like this where you realize hindsight 2020 uh we were set up to fail like, this was an intentional, rigged process to set us up to fail, to test us, and to put us in a position where, where we would just be wildly disoriented about where we were and what was going on. And, you know, when we follow Jesus, sometimes we get this sense that, like, okay, God has shown me on the front end, here are the commands I've been given to obey, and here are the sins I'm supposed to avoid, and, and then yet every single step of the journey of following Jesus, we feel like we're confl- conflicted with opportunities to give in to all of those things, And so it's easy sometimes to feel like, okay, God, you've rigged the system against me. It kind of feels like I've been set up to fail because you're saying don't, and and yet every single opportunity I have at every single turn, there is this opportunity to do. But what we're going to see this morning, the book of James, coming off the heels of what we saw last week and where we're going this morning is that while God is always the one who leads us out of temptation, he's never the one who leads us into temptation, God never gives us anything. He never gives anything evil that's gonna lead us into death. God always gives us the good that leads to life. And that's what we're gonna see this morning. God gives every good gift that leads to life and he never gives us evil that leads to death. Church, understand this morning, God is always the source of every good gift and blessing that you experience in this life. And he's never the source of evil, that results from the ongoing presence of sin. And what we'll see in James 1 this morning is that our God is a good father. We can trust that he's a good father. There is no sleight of hand with him. He's not rigged the system against us. And he gives us good gifts that lead to life. So from James chapter one, let's read beginning with verses 16 and 17. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good Gift. Everyone say, every good gift. Every good. every good gift. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So what James shows us first this morning in verses 16 and 17 is that we can trust we will never be deceived by God. He never gives us evil that leads to death. He only gives us good that leads to life. So we can trust that we will never be deceived by God. Now, we've seen over the last few weeks, the book of James can be a very confrontational book, right? I've got a friend who I once heard refer to the book of James as the two by four of the New Testament. I mean, because it's just hard truth, heavy truth that hits us at every single turn. Yet as heavy as the book of James is, with you know, averages about one command every other verse for five chapters, as heavy as the book of James is, sprinkled throughout this letter, you see the love and the affection that James has for these people. Because as, as important as it is to confront and to challenge and to rebuke, we equally have to remember, we do all of these things out of love. And this can be a really difficult concept for us because I think you and I are living in a cultural moment right now where we have a very, very shallow understanding of what love is. To love someone, to be loved by someone, it means you have to unconditionally accept, approve, affirm everything about me. And if you don't, not only does it mean you don't love me, it might actually mean that you hate me. And so, so we don't have a very good framework and context for sitting down with one another and challenging each other as followers of Jesus when we're out of step with God's word. We, we immediately get defensive, we wanna get hostile, we wanna push back, we wanna, wanna lawyer ourselves and defend all of our actions. And so, so even as we do this work of confrontation, we have to remember that we always do this in love. A baseline that we have tried to hold as a church for the last several years, it's really two sides of the same coin. We want to be people of unapologetic or unconditional love. We want to welcome everybody. The door is open. We welcome you in the name of Jesus. We believe the words that are written right outside of these sanctuary doors, but we also want to preach a message of unapologetic truth. And that's exactly what James is doing here. He's doing two things at the same time. He says, do not be deceived, my beloved. He loves these people. He loves these people, and because he loves them, he doesn't want them to be deceived about false ideas of who God is and where sin comes from. And as, as difficult as it is to come to grips with the fact that we're tempted to sin by our own desires, as we saw last week, as difficult it is to come to grips with this, James wants us to have a clear and accurate picture of who our God is. And so he shows us two really important truths here in verse 17. First, James shows us that God gives good gifts. God gives good gifts. There is no deception with him. Satan wants to deceive you into believing that God is deceptive. Satan wants to deceive you into believing that God is holding something back from you, that he's keeping something in secret that would be better for you if he would just let you have it. He wants you to believe that God has set you up to fail. And so what James does immediately here is he comforts them with the truth. He reminds them every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. Church, every good and perfect gift you and I experience in this life is a blessing of God's grace that's been given to us. And it's not just the the spiritual gifts. It's spiritual, it's physical, it's relational, it's material. So every good spiritual gift comes from God. The gift of salvation where we are resurrected from death to life. The Holy Spirit is a gift from God. The indwelling power and presence of God's Spirit living within us. Spiritual gifts come from God that have been given to us for the equipping up of the church and for the advancement of the gospel. Every good physical gift comes from God. The beauty that we see, the music that we hear, the breath in our lungs, the steps that we take. Every good relational gift comes from God. Friendship comes from God. Marriage comes from God. Laughter comes from God. Sexual intimacy in marriage between a husband and a wife is a good gift that's been given by God. Every good material gift comes from God. Your money, understand, that is not primarily a product of your hard work. It is a gift of God. Your home has been given to you by God. The clothes that you wear and the food that you eat, all of these things should remind us of a good God who loves to give us generous gifts. October, over the last decade or so, it's become kind of in church culture in our nation, like Church Pastor and Staff Appreciation Month. And, and man, I just want to be able to say on behalf of our staff this morning how grateful we are for how well you guys have loved us this month. Um, you guys have just blessed us materially in some really unexpected ways, and, and, and it's just been awesome, man. Like, we've just so appreciated the way you've loved us and, and made us just feel seen and appreciated for what we do. And so I was in a meeting this past week, and there was a community group that came and um, dropped off this big bucket for me and my family. And I had a bunch of snacks and drinks and some gift cards and stuff like this. And If you know me, you know like I I really love to grill. I really really love to grill, and so they'd given me a gift card to uh, Old Timey Meat Market and some seasoning. So man, yesterday um, Saturday morning, I went and got some steaks and seasoned them up, and and man, on the kamado last night, like we grilled and ate steak to the glory of God. Amen. It was just it was awesome. And and as I'm eating last night, as we're we're talking about this and thinking about my message for for this morning, I'm sitting here thinking like, how good is God that He didn't just give us food, He gave us flavor. Like, you didn't have to do that. they just give us the food to sustain us and have no taste, no flavor whatsoever. And and even doing something as simple as, as eating a steak and having a drink and having laughter with a friend, these are all good gifts that point to a good gift giver. Every good gift, every perfect gift that we receive in this life, it is a gift that's been given to us by God. I love these words from A.W. Tozer. He once wrote, with the goodness of God to desire our highest welfare, the wisdom of God to plan it, and the power of God to achieve it, what do we lack? Surely we are the most favored of all creatures. And if you are in Jesus Christ, that is so true for you today. Our God gives good gifts because our God is a good gift giver. So don't be deceived about who God is. He gives us good gifts. And the next James shows us in verse 17 that he will never change. We don't have to worry about him deceiving us because the gifts he gives are always good and we can trust that he will never change. One of my favorite attributes of God to study is what theologians call the immutability of God. And, and that's just like a $10 seminary word that theologians use to describe the fact that our God never changes. There's a powerful example of this in the Old Testament where the Lord speaks to his people through the prophet Malachi in a season where they had broken their faith and covenants with the Lord. And because of their unfaithfulness, the Lord had every right to condemn them. But even though they wavered in their faithfulness to the Lord, the Lord did not waver in his faithfulness to them. And he tells them why in Malachi 3, verses 6 and 7. He says, For I, the Lord, do not change. He doesn't change. And listen to this He says, Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. He said, The reason why you've not experienced judgment and wrath and all these is because I haven't changed. You've broken your covenant with me. I have not broken my covenant with you. He said, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and not kept them. So he's basically like, from the beginning of this relationship, y'all have been a mess. And so the fact that you haven't been consumed, that's not because of you, that's because of me. And he says to them, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Our God is immutable. He does not change. The way that James says it here in verse 17 is that he is the father of lights, and in him there is no variation or shadow due to change. This past week, I had a, a Zoom call that I needed to be able to take, and I was working from here at the building, and, um, and it was a beautiful day outside. It was low 70s and overcast, and so I decided I wanted to go do my Zoom call out on the front porch. And so if you're facing the parking lot, I was kind of sitting on the far right side of the front porch in one of the rocking chairs. But after sitting there for a few minutes, the clouds shifted, and then, then the sun's out. And, and so I'm sitting directly in the sun. It was really bright. So I pull out my sunglasses, and I put those on. But then I can kind of see in the picture, you know, the light kind of keeps changing with the clouds and stuff. And, and I was starting to get hot sitting in the sun. So I looked to the other side of the porch, and it's still in the shade. So I was like, well, I'm, I'm just going to move over there. So I get my stuff, and I move to the other side of the porch, and I sit down. I take off my sunglasses. I set up at the table. And then what happens? The clouds shift again. And suddenly, I'm sitting in the sun, and the other side of the ramp is shaded. So what did I do? I moved back to the other side of the ramp. And, and this went on a, a couple of, of different times, you know, where I just kind of—and and again, I'm a guy, like, I, I like to walk around when I'm on the phone and stuff. Maybe I'm the only one, but, but I like to be mobile when I'm, I'm talking with people. And, and so I go from one place to the other. And so I don't mind the walking, but it is kind of frustrating when it's like, all right? Where's, this, where's the sun going to be next? Like, is it going to be shaded in five minutes? Is it still going to be sunny in five minutes? There was just no predictability to this, and it was frustrating. And James says, we don't have to worry about God being like this. You don't have to worry about whether or not the sun is going to shine. There's, there's a great deception that you and I face when God seems distant. The deception you and I face when God seems distant is Satan wanting us to believe that God is the one who has moved when the reality is he's been there all along. It's you and I who have moved. And so, so what I hope you'll find rest and encouragement and comfort in this morning is that no matter how dark it feels to you, you know, your sin might have brought in some clouds, the enemy may have cast his shadow on your life, but if you are in Jesus Christ, the radiant sun of God's glory never stops shining on your life if you belong to him. He gives good gifts and he doesn't change. And the good news of the gospel is even in the moments when we're unfaithful to him, he remains faithful to us. He doesn't just give good gifts, he gives perfect gifts. And the perfect gift he has given us is salvation through faith in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what James goes on to say next in verse 18. He says, of his own will, I'm gonna come back to that in a second. He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So God gives us every good gift that leads to life, never the evil that leads to death. So that means we can trust that we'll never be deceived by God. But second, we have to recognize something. We have to recognize, we must know that salvation is not achieved by us. God will never deceive us. He's never going to mislead us. There's not going to be any type of sleight of hand with him. And he gives good gifts to us. And the greatest gift that he's given to us is the gift of salvation through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And this is not something that we can work for ourselves. Understand, because salvation is a gift, being a gift, it means it's something you don't work for. It's not something that you earn. It's not even something that you deserve. It's something that has been given to you completely and unequivocally by someone else's mercy and grace. So he doesn't deceive us. He doesn't say, hey, this is one thing and then us discover that it's something else. He gives every good gift. The greatest gift he's given is salvation and there's absolutely nothing we can do to earn that salvation for ourselves. If you go back to week one of this message series, what I gave you in your outline is that James 1.18 really is like one of the key passages in the book of James. And what we saw in week one of this series, we spent a whole week on verse one, where it just made the point that as followers of Christ, everything we do for Jesus starts with who we are in Jesus. And we have to get this equation right, because if you try to get your identity from your activity, the book of James will be miserable for you like if you're just a really good Pharisee and legalist at heart what you'll try to do with the book of James is you'll you'll like flowchart all 50 of these commands and every single day you're like I'm acing these and it's either going to lead you to the place of pride or despair of look how holy and righteous I am or man I could never do this myself as followers of Christ we don't get our identity from our activity our activity flows from our identity we don't work for God's love. We don't work for God's grace. We don't work from, for God's mercy. We work from the approval we have already received through faith in Jesus Christ. And if we don't get this right, a book like James will be miserable for us. And so right out of the gate, we just begin with the acknowledgement, there's absolutely nothing I've done to earn this. There's nothing absolutely that I could do to receive this. There's absolutely nothing I could do to, to deserve this. We have been given Salvation through faith in Jesus Christ purely as a gift of God. James says it like this in verse 18 of his own will he brought us forth. So we see from verse 18 that salvation comes by God's will. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. Anytime we see verses like this, it invites the conversation about God's sovereignty and human responsibility. You know, we ask this question. Is it God who calls on us for salvation, or is it us who call on him for salvation? And the way the Bible answers that question is like this. Yes. But God is completely and totally sovereign and responsible for our salvation, and yet you and I are still completely and totally responsible to repent of our sins, call on the name of Jesus Christ in faith, and be saved. And it creates some anxiety sometimes. I've I've navigated this with a number of people through the years You ask this question. It's like, well, kind of laying awake at night, like, well, how do I know that I've been chosen? Well, the book of Romans also tells us that uh, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will will be saved. So the question becomes, have you called on the name of the Lord? If you will have, congratulations, you were chosen. Like that's, that's how this works. Like, we can trust that God's word is true. We don't have to live in this anxiety, am I in, am I out? Like, God has given us evidence to know that we belong to him. God is totally responsible for saving us, and yet we remain totally responsible in faith for calling on the name of Jesus to be saved. But what the question we're primarily trying to answer here is, from where does salvation initiate? Who, who kickstarts this? Who starts this? Because this is really the difference between, are you saved by grace through faith, or do you believe that you're saved by works? And what Romans 8 shows us is this. God called our names long before our parents even gave them to us. This is what Romans 8 verses 28 to 30 says. It says, we know that for those who love God, all things, everybody say all things. All things things work together for good. For those who are called, listen, this is all past tense language, For those who were called according to his purpose, and follow this, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, past tense, to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, past tense, he also called, past tense. And those whom he called, past tense, he also justified, past tense. And those whom he justified, past tense, he also glorified, past tense, past tense. It is salvation. Salvation is initiated by the Lord. That this doesn't start with us. You and I can take credit for none of this. Even the faith that was required to call on the name of Jesus Christ for salvation, God has given that to us as a gift. We can't even take credit for this. There's no part of our salvation we can take credit for, which should make us immensely more grateful for our salvation. Amen? Like the fact that God saw us in our sin, in our bondage, in our brokenness, in our depravity, and said, that one belongs to me. Should make us wildly grateful for everything that he's given to us, knowing that we can do nothing to earn it ourselves. But God has not just ordained the end, which is our salvation. James also shows us here that God has ordained the means. Verse 18, he shows us that salvation comes by God's will. Second, he also shows us that salvation comes through God's word. God has not just ordained the end. He's not just called and foreknown and predestined and justified and glorified. It's not just that he's ordained the end. God has also ordained the means. And this is where you and I are responsible. We are responsible for hearing the word of God. We are responsible for responding to the message of the gospel. And God calls us to himself. God draws his people to himself through one Way only, and it is through the preaching of the word, through the preaching of the message of the gospel. Here's how Paul says it in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. God is not just ordained that we be saved, He is ordained that the way we will be saved is through the proclamation of the gospel, as you and I hear and repent and respond and believe which is why we put the gospel at the forefront of everything that we do. It was uh, our early days as a church, like our first couple months, um, we were maybe like seven, eight weeks old, just a couple months old. And um, there was someone who had attended our worship services from, from our opening in January of 2017 and had been there for several weeks. And I had a, a little bit of a relationship with this guy. I, like, didn't know him super, super well. And, but he'd been attending, he'd been coming. And, and so after, we just had one service at this point in time. We we're over at Beaufort High School. And after the service ended, um, he's walking out of the lobby and he says, Hey, tell, I, got, I got a question. He's like, come over here for a second. And, and so I'm talking to him, he goes, hey, love what's going on here. Like, love, love the music and, you know, love the, the warm welcome, love that we're in the word. He goes, uh, just got one question. He goes, how long are we going to do this gospel thing? And I, I just, I didn't really know how to take that. I was like, well, what do, what do you mean by that? He was like, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like if, if we're just going to preach the gospel week after week, that, that eventually people are just going to kind of get bored by that. And, and yeah, I, I think he meant it as an insult. Like, I, I received it as a compliment. Actually, I was like, I mean, man, if like that's the, the bad rap against us as we're preaching the gospel too much, that, that's, that's something that, that I can live with. And, and it just, it's something that, you know, for, for years has, has just recreated this concern within me. Where I hear something like that and I just go, man, isn't that the problem? Like is, is the problem not that we've gotten to this place in our culture where we show up Sunday morning looking for a glorified TED talk instead of being wowed by the revelation of the glory of God through the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ? Listen, if you're bored by the gospel, it's not the gospel that's the problem. Like if you're no longer wowed by the miracle that God has raised you from death to life, that God supernaturally imparted to you the faith to call on his name and repent and believe, that for no other reason except for the fact that he is good and gracious and merciful, he's brought you to himself, I promise you it's not the message of the gospel that's the problem. It's our dead hearts that we refuse to see the beauty and the goodness of who God is. I just wonder, like, how many of us are to the place, or even, like, just gathering for worship on Sunday morning, we, we show up no longer expecting to be wowed by the glory of God. Like, we, we are so stuck in, in our, our, our cynical frustrations and, and preferences that we're, we're maybe no longer capable of really hearing it or seeing it. And we just miss this this miracle that God has worked within us. And, And here's the inevitable result of this, is when the gospel stops being preached in the church, then it's no longer preached in the world. We no longer talk about God's relentless pursuit of us, so we're not at all moved to go and pursue others. We forget that the reason that God has saved us is so we would be set apart to continue perpetuating this message and making the good news of the gospel known well beyond these walls. This is what James says in verse 18. He says, of his will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now if you you dig into first fruits and this concept you study the Old Testament Jewish Mosaic law, uh, during the harvest, uh, the feast of harvest, uh, people would bring their first fruits, the first of their animals, the first of their grain, the first of their fruits, as a worshipful sacrifice before the Lord. They brought their best and they brought their first to the Lord. In response to everything that he had given to them. And so the way James and the early believers saw themselves were they were the first fruits of the gospel harvest. God God had saved them and he had set them apart for the express purpose of continuing to advance his name. And listen, these early believers were so effective at sharing the gospel that you and I heard it. 2,000 years later, not just in that year or in that decade, that the message of the gospel has continued across generations Heard Robbie Gallaty say it like this one time. The gospel came to you because it was on its way to somebody else. Church, how quickly we forget that God ran after us. In spite of our sin, in spite of our fallenness, in spite of our brokenness, he pursued us. And we should rightly feel the burden to, to hear those words and leave this place and go pursue those who are far from Jesus Christ. But, but here's what else we can rest in this morning. Because God is sovereign, you and I can trust that whether we participate or not, God's gonna find all his people and draw them to himself. You know, Our elder team was meeting this past week and we've got a book that we're reading through together and we're talking some different theological subjects. And part of what we talked about this past Monday night was just the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And just a concern you know, that I have that as a generation of believers, we become a little bit too smart for the Holy Spirit. All of us have scientific, psychological, rational explanations for everything in, in the world. And, and so I think that there's a reason why there, there are other countries that, that don't have as much as we do, uh, where believers are impoverished, they're facing persecution. You hear more and more stories and testimonies of miraculous works happening there, because I just don't think you and I have the faith to see it happen here. And we shouldn't expect to see anything happen. You're like, we no longer believe that our God can work in supernatural, miraculous ways, but we shouldn't expect any of these things to happen. I was just reminded this past week in a story that I heard of God's pursuit, how whether or not you and I participate in this, God is sovereign. He's going to draw his people to himself, sometimes in spite of all of the bad that we have walked through and accomplished. And so I heard this really powerful testimony that this past week, a video interview with a guy who was a former ISIS fighter. And, and, and so you know, he's, he's in an environment, radical Islam, and, and just involved in and just advancing all of these horrendous atrocities that we saw on our TVs years ago. But he had this, what he testifies was just this supernatural encounter that led him to faith in Jesus, where, where one day he felt a hand on his shoulder. He felt a hand on his shoulder and the voice behind him just said this, it said, I forgive you. And he didn't really know what to do with this. He said, I didn't understand. I didn't know how this was possible. He said, I understand that Allah is merciful and compassionate, but forgiveness is not something for this life. Forgiveness is something for the next life. And so he asked the question, who are you that forgives me? And the voice he heard responded like this, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so he just paused and he he still didn't understand. He said, I've never heard this before. He said, what is your name? And the response was Jesus Christ, the living God. And he fell on the floor. He surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. We, We see God's sovereignty both according to his will and through his word, that he's continuing to draw all of his people to himself. And so church, particularly as we see things unfold in the Middle East this week, as we're rightly outraged by the the work of Hamas and the injustices and atrocities that were committed over the last week that continue to be committed today. Listen, it is okay for us to pray for God's justice. It's okay to pray for God's protection, but let's not forget that the most radical conversion that happened in the New Testament was of a former terrorist, named Saul, who was so zealous, quote-unquote, for the things of God that he was persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. And yet he miraculously meets a man named Jesus. His life is transformed upside down. He goes on to write like half of our New Testament and and he is responsible through the New Testament for like all of Europe and Asia, hearing the message of the gospel. So listen, as we pray for protection, as we pray for justice, let's not discount the fact that even among the darkest places on this planet, the Lord Jesus Christ still has people who belong to him and he's going after him and he's going to bring them in. And so as we wrap this up together this morning, I just want to give us a few quick challenges here just to summarize everything we've heard this morning based on James chapter one. The first challenge for us is just to know who he is. Know who your God is. He will not deceive you. He will not give you evil that leads to your death. He will only give you good that leads to life. We need to know what he gives. He gives good and perfect gifts And it's every good thing you experience in this life. It's every blessing you experience in this life. But most importantly, it is the salvation you have freely received as a gift through faith in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And last, know what he has done. He has brought you forth by the word of his truth. When you were lost, when you were broken, When you were dying in your sins, Jesus Christ came after you. He pulled you out of the fire. He set you apart as his. He sends you out into this world as a light and a witness for him. We can trust this morning that we receive good and perfect gifts because we have a good and perfect God. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, listen, I hope today, um, if you're struggling to see his goodness, that you would ask him to open your eyes to once again see his goodness, in, not just in, in the small ways, but in the biggest way, the goodness that he has saved you. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, we'd invite you to see this morning that you can freely receive the good and perfect gift of salvation through faith in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That if you feel prompted this morning to call on the name of the Lord, it's because God in eternity past called your name and set you apart as his. Would today be the day that your eyes are open to the beauty of who Jesus is. You would turn from your sins. You would call on his name and faith. You would believe you would be saved, knowing that you belong to him. And he's a good father who gives you good things that lead you to life. So will you bow your heads with me this morning? We're gonna take communion together here in just a moment. As we partake of the bread and the cup, we are reminded of the good and perfect gift of Jesus Christ, whose body was broken, whose blood was shed on our behalf. The gift of grace God gave to us that we did not deserve, that we could not achieve, that we could never earn. And listen, if, if you can trust God to give you the good gift of salvation, you can trust him to give you everything you need to continue following him faithfully. And so today, if you're just struggling to see his goodness, just tell him that. Ask him for the clouds to to part way of your sin, that the shadow of the enemy, that it would be cast down, that you could once again see the radiance of the light of the son of God shining in your life, knowing that you belong to him. So fathers, we come to the table this morning as we partake of the bread and the cup. Help us to see once again the good and perfect gift of salvation that's been offered to us through faith in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. As we are those who have received this, make us eager to leave this place sharing it. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue in your sovereignty and by the power of your word, continue drawing in those who belong to you. Continue rescuing the lost sons and daughters. Set them apart. Lord, we pray even this morning that from Hamas, you would raise up a thousand like the apostle Paul. Set them apart as instruments for your glory. Cause their feet to stumble as they run to accomplish evil. Help to be confronted with the radical image of your son, Jesus Christ. Transform hearts and lives, even as you have transformed ours. So rather, be glorified in our time here as we pray and as we sing, as we confess and as we repent, as we respond to you. Let it all bring glory to your name this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen.